Well, as I was uh, thinking about and getting ready for this uh, coming season of Advent, um, I've been praying about what God would have us talk about. And it's, um, for me, it's not really Christmassy, but it's what I feel like He wants us to talk about. So we'll talk about it. Um, I'm debating whether I need to go to the scripture right now or not. Let's go to the scripture. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51. But when that day, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus is speaking and he says to his disciples, but when that day and hour will come, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, not the Son, only the Father. For the Son of Man's coming will be just as it was in the days of Noah. Back then, before the flood, people went on eating and drinking, taking wives and becoming wives, and right up until the day Noah entered the ark, and they didn't know what was happening until the flood came and swept them all away. It will be just like that when the Son of Man comes. There, Then there will be two men in a field. One will be taken, the other left behind. There will be two women grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left behind. So stay alert, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. But you do know this. Excuse me. Yeah, but you do know this. Had the owner of the house known when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you too must always be ready. For the Son of Man will come when you are not expecting him. Who is the faithful and sensible servant whose master puts him in charge of the household staff to give them their food at the proper time? It will go well with that servant if he is found doing his job when his master comes. Yes, I tell you that he will put him in charge of all he owns. But if that servant is wicked and says to himself, well, my master's taking his time, and that servant starts beating up his fellow servants and spends his time eating and drinking with drunkards, then his master will come on a day the servant does not expect at a time he doesn't know. And he will cut him in two and put him with the hypocrites, where people will wail and grind their teeth. That's not much of a Christmas message in my mind. I was like, Lord, let this see. <laughs> but think about what's going on right now in, in, in this season. As we enter into this time, this is, in the church calendar, what is known as Advent. In the retail world, it's their biggest season. It's where they're going to make their most money. And they've done a wonderful job conditioning you to spend your money at this time. Who else could get 
people out of bed on the day after Thanksgiving at 3 o'clock in the morning or even midnight that night so they can buy something. But they've done a very good job of conditioning us that this is what we do. It's this time of year. But Christians have a different insight. We have a different understanding. We have been given the knowledge of what will be. And that's what this is all about. Advent. This idea of anticipating His coming. Now, if you go back to the time of the Bible and, and, and Jesus' birth era, that time frame, look at chapter 1 of Luke. And, um, excuse me, if you, excuse me, if you look at verse 26 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, you're going to see a story that is very familiar to us. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city in Galilee, called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph, who was of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Approaching her, the angel said, Shalom, peace, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was deeply troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Miriam, for you, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Look, you will become pregnant. You will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. He, God will give him the throne of his forefather David, and he will rule the house of Jacob forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. Well, how can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come over you, the power of the Most High will cover you, and therefore the Holy Child born will be called the Son of God. You have a relative, Elizabeth, who is an old woman, and everyone says she's barren, but she has conceived a son and is six months pregnant. You see, for with God, nothing is impossible. And Mary said, I'm the servant of the Lord. May it happen to me as you have said. And the angel left her. Now, if you were Mary... Now, you have to put yourself back in her context, okay? This isn't, even though it's an unusual experience to have a vision and have the angel come and present to her in the way that the angel did, you need to understand that every young woman in that time, in that part of the world, had an expectation that if they were to get pregnant, it was very possible that their child could become the anointed one, the Messiah. Because the, the fervor was high at that time in the nation of Israel. 
that God was about to move in a powerful and mighty way. And it literally is, 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 is believed by any scholar that you read from the Bible, that, that studies the Bible, that the women of that time frame, all of them, had the anticipation that I could be the mother of the Messiah. My child could become the Messiah. Oh God, from, from my lips to yours, let it happen. Seriously, this was the mindset. So for Mary to have this interaction with the angel, although it was supernatural, although it was unusual, it was not out of what would have been their normal mindset. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? My child is going to... Wait a minute. How in the world is that possible? I'm not even married. I don't have a... I've never been with a man. That's... What? Oh. God just going to miraculously... Sure. Okay. I can believe that. I'm, Jesus, I'm, his, I'm his follower. I'm a believer. Sure, if he wants to do that, let it happen. I'm perfectly willing. And I'm not trying to make light of it or glib, but just think about it. It wasn't, the issue was not, I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah, right? Because that was everybody's thought. The issue that was so weird was, oh my goodness, an angel from God is coming to talk to me. Oh my goodness. But once she got past that, and she realized that she wasn't dreaming, that it was real, she was like, Oh my goodness! I'm gonna be the mother of the Messiah! This baby is gonna be the Messiah! This is so. I'm in a lot of trouble right now because I'm not married and I'm pregnant. Now she has to deal with the regular stuff of life because their culture said that if she got pregnant out of, without being married, that she should be stoned. So God has her go to her sister, Liz, I mean, cousin Elizabeth, and stay there for a few months. So all of the stuff goes away. And then finally, Joseph brings her into his home. The neighbors will wag their tongue, saying they couldn't wait till the marriage, so they got pregnant. So that's why he moves her in. So nobody worried about stoning Mary. And who cares about her, her reputation and his reputation? The reality is, is God protected the child. But the thing that you need to understand is that it wasn't a shock to be told that you were going to be the parent of the Messiah. Because that's what every single one of them were hoping for. Because there was this atmosphere of anticipation. There was this longing for, I know it's coming, I know it's coming, God has said it's coming. All of the leaders in our church are saying, in the synagogue are saying it's coming. It's going to happen. It could be this generation. It's going to come. Now let's bring this forward 2,000 years. Jesus has already come. We already know the whole story. He died on the cross. He resurrected. He's living with the Father. But, you heard me tell the kids... There's going to come a day when the Father will turn to the Son and say, Go and bring home my children. And so as we are entering into this season of Advent, of anticipation, of hope, that's our focus. It's not just looking back at this event that happened 2,000 years ago. And that's a special event. I mean, it really is. It's, it's a special event. If Jesus hadn't come to the earth, we never could have had a Messiah. We couldn't have our sins cleansed. So it's very significant. But what is even more significant for us is the anticipation that Jesus is going to return. And if you read 
this. If you look in Matthew chapter 25, which is where we were just a few minutes ago. Let me go back there. I believe it was Matthew 25. Forgive me, I don't have my notes in front of me. No, no, we were, in, we were in Matthew, then we went to Luke, now we're back in Matthew. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. As I was studying, I kept going to 25, and I kept getting to, oh, it's 24, duh. Um, and it's verse, um, there's, yeah, but it's, I wanted to go back just a little bit farther. Um, look at 23. We could go back even farther into 24, but let's start at Matthew chapter 24, verse 23. At that time, if someone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe him. Now, Jesus is on the earth. He's already claimed that he's the Messiah. This is him talking about his second coming, his second advent. And he said, there he is, don't believe him, for there will be false messiahs and false prophets performing great miracles, amazing things, so as to fool even the chosen if possible. There, I have told you in advance, let me repeat this, there, I have told you in advance, so if people say to you, listen, he's out in the desert, don't go there. Or look, he's hidden away in a secret room, don't believe it. For when the Son of Man does come, it will be like lightning flashing out in the east and filling the sky to the western horizon. Jesus is not going to come in an obscure way the second time. The first advent, the first time when Jesus came, it was all by his lonesome, Mary and Joseph in a little cave in a small town in Nazareth, crowded city, nobody's paying any attention except for a few angels getting an announcement. I mean, see, we have angels giving an announcement to a few shepherds sitting in the field who then come into Nazareth. We don't know how many shepherds there are because it doesn't tell us in the Bible. It could have been three. You know, it's just a small little intimate event, Jesus coming to the earth. But this second coming is not going to be small and it's not going to be intimate. It's going to be a worldwide phenomenon. Every person living on the face of the earth is going to know it. From the eastern horizon to the western horizon, there is not going to be any question of what's going on when Jesus comes back the second time. It says in verse 28, wherever there's a dead body, that's where you're going to find vultures. Whatever that means. <laughs> I think it's talking about referring back to, there's that guy, there's this guy, look over here. I think that's what that's talking about. But immediately following the trouble of those times, the sun's going to grow dark. The moon will stop shining. The stars will fall from the sky. The powers in heaven will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the land will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with tremendous power and glory, and he will send out his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together the chosen people from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. And now let the fig tree teach you its lesson. When its branches begin to sprout and leaves appear, you know that summer is approaching. In that same way, when you see all these things that I've told you about, you know that the time is near. It's right at the door. Yes, I tell you that this people will certainly not pass away before all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So when that day comes, so when that day and hour will come, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, not the Son, not the only the Father. 
For the Son of Man's coming will be just as it was in the days of Noah. Back then, and then we go into the, the lesson that we talked about at the very beginning. Jesus himself said, it's not going to be a quiet thing. The world's going to know. But I'm telling you ahead of time so that you're not going to get caught unawares. And what did we see? We talked about the faithful servant that Jesus said just seconds after this. He said, don't be that guy. Don't be that unfaithful servant who loses sight of what's coming. The master may have left for a while, but he is coming back. Don't be caught living where you're not supposed to live. Now, I want to share with you another thing that happened with me this week. As every single Wednesday, well not every single Wednesday, but almost every single Wednesday, I go into town for what's called a text study. And what that is, is the gathering of pastors from around the town, and we all sit and talk about the, the sermon that we're going to preach this week. And we share our thoughts, and we kind of collaborate on what we're going to be doing. And a lot of times God gives me stuff, and, and uses me as well to give them stuff to help build up the strength of our sermons. Um, there was a, a friend of mine, his name is Fred Baylor, and he's, his sermon this morning is called The Advent Way of Life. Now, I'm not going to preach his sermon, obviously, but I just wanted to, to give you this one thought that he was sharing out of it. I was like, ah, oh, this is so cool. He said, in this idea of living advently, okay, this idea of looking forward to the second coming, and living day by day by day in that anticipation. He said, his, what he's going to say to his congregation, what is expected of us? To wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. Not living in passive anticipation, but in active discipline. And when he said that, it gripped my soul. Now, I don't know if it speaks to you or not, but it's gripped my soul. Because God has been dealing with Bob Sugden in my own personal life about my intentionality. How intentional am I being to live out my faith day by day, moment by moment? How intentional am I be in actually being a child of God. You see, for me, and I can't speak for any of you, but for me, I've been a Christian for 30-something years. I pretty much got this thing down. You know, I, I read the Bible regularly, and I can pretty much quote it to you as I'm reading. I could look at it just to get a little bit of reference, and then just spit it out. That's why I change translations during my devotion so I don't get bored. Because I, I mean, the NIV, I can just quote that left and right because I've read it for 20 plus years every single day. I can pretty much tell you where the books are found if I don't know the exact order because I never took the time to memorize, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Je Judges, I mean, Je Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, um, S is it Esther after Ruth? No. First and second Samuel, first and second Chronicles, first and second King, then Esther. Anyway, see, I don't have them all memorized. But the bottom line is, is, is I know where they are. And I know the, bit, the, the thing, but it gets, not boring, but boring. I mean, I don't know how to say it otherwise. It gets 
normal. It comes, becomes the usual. And it's also possible for me to go through my regular hour-long devotions, sometimes hour-and-a-half-long devotions, and get done and walk out going, hmm, didn't do a whole lot for me this morning. Oh well, move on. Let's go on with our day. I mean, it, it's just, it, it's real. That's why, So I have to be intentional about focusing on God and being aware of His presence throughout the day. I have to be intentional about applying the principles of Christ's teaching to my life. I have to be intentional in walking in the calling that God has given me. I have to be intentional in stretching myself beyond my own comfort zone. Because if I don't, my natural tendency is to fall back and just sit. My natural tendency is to not press forward. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, if I'm not intentionally trying to... Now, I'm not talking about works and getting myself saved because of my work. I'm just talking about living out the life that God's called me to. And that's what I heard Fred say. As we live in this Advent way of life, what is expected of us? To wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior Jesus, but not living in passive anticipation, but living in active discipline. If you read farther into Matthew chapter 25, which we're not going to do this morning, because we're, what I'm going to be referring to is a very familiar passage. There's going to come a point in Jesus' discussions with his people in Matthew chapter 25 where he says, there's going to come a time where my father is going to send out an angel and they're going to blow a trumpet and they're going to bring in a harvest, if you will, of all these souls, of all the people who have ever lived on the earth. And there will be a division between those souls. The ones that go to my right will be brought into relationship with my father forever, the ones that be on my left will be going off into perdition and not being in relationship with God ever anymore. And at that time, there's going to be this basic judgment, and it's going to, the, the person sitting on the throne, me, is going to say to these people, you who are sitting on my right are blessed of my father because you gave people a cup of cold water in my name, because you fed me when I was hungry, and you clothed me when I was naked. And you ministered to me when I was sick. And you visited me and when I was in prison. And they'll say, well, Lord, when, what? When did we, what? When did we ever minister to you? And he'll say to them, when you did it unto the least, you did it unto me. Enter into your rest. Enter into the joy of God. And then he tells the reverse to the others. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. Therefore, you're not part of this. And we always focus on the, the, the negative one, but I want to look at this. Jesus declares that there's going to come a time when every single one of us is going to have to give an accounting to God of what we did with the time we had on this earth. Look at the story of the talents. There's a person who gets five talents, a person, one of the servants gets two talents, and then one of the servants gets one talent. And when the master returns, he says, hey, I'm back! And they all have to come before him and say, here's what I did with your stuff, God, or master. And I believe that Jesus taught that because I believe that that's what we're going to have to do. Yes, I'm in relationship with God. Yes, I'm going to be with God forever. The blood of Christ cleanses me from all sin. None of that is affected by this idea of work. 
Because I'm saved by grace through faith, and not of myself, but it's not a work so that no one can boast. That's my salvation. But there's going to be an accounting of what I did with my time on this earth, where I'm going to stand before my master, my father, and I'm going to have to explain to him why I wasn't as faithful or diligent as I could have been. Or I'm going to have to stand there humbly and embarrassed while he's, he touts all the wonderful things that I did. And I'll go, really? I did that? I, yeah, cool. I don't remember. And so I, in my intentionality, in my not being passive, I want to look at who in the world am I in Christ and how am I relating with my world and what am I doing that is right? And what a wonderful time of the year to be able to do that. We have four weeks, four Sundays, where we can sit down and go, hmm, how am I doing in this thing called Christianity? Yeah, I'm already saved, I know that. And yeah, we're going to have a Christmas tree and we're going to have presents and all. i got to get all this stuff ready for that. But during this season, what an interesting time to reflect on the fact that my Savior is coming back. And as I'm sitting in this anticipation of His return, am I doing for Him what helps to advance His kingdom? Am I involved in some act or action or practice that is going to be discovered as being pleasing to Him? has nothing to do with earning salvation. It simply has to do with living out my calling, doing what I've been asked to do. For me, and again, I'm not pointing a finger at any one of you, but for me, it is very difficult for me to have access to lives of people who are not Christians already. Because most of my interactions are with you guys, or they are with fellow ministers, either on the district level or in town, or there may be just a little bit of interaction in this community with some people as I work with the Pleasant Valley Community Association. But other than that, I really don't have a lot of impact or in interaction with non-Christians. Now, I won't tell you the name, but there's a person who lives in this community who I have been praying for for years, literally for almost nine years. God, save this person. God, use me in some way to minister to this person so that they see the truth and come to know you as their personal Savior, God. And in recent days, I prayed, because I regularly pray. I have, I have a, a prayer list where every single day of the month, I pray over one or two people. So, like on the 30th of every month, Marlene and Beverly are prayed for. On the first day of every month, uh, Vicki Berrigan and Wendy Beversek, I pray for. and Because I did it alphabetically and I assigned it to the day. And it's not that I don't pray for you any other time, but that way specifically I'm covering the entire congregation in prayer, making sure that I'm being intentional to pray over every single person. Well, I have also added to that prayer list some people from our community that I've been, I have a burden for. One of them was this person. And, and I was like, just when it came time to pray for them this time, I was like, God, as I'm sitting here reflecting, I realize I really haven't had any, any contact with this person 
in more than six or eight months. Oh my word, if I want to be used of you to minister to this person and help them to come to know the truth of the gospel, well, what am I expecting? It's going to be done through osmosis as they drive by? Lord, please help me. Help me to be intentional to reach into that life. Help me to somehow, some way, in the very next few days, come in contact with that person and get an opportunity to reconnect. Two days later. Hello? Well, hey, how you doing? Yeah, sure, yeah, if you want to, that's not a problem. Yeah, no, don't worry about it. Feel free. Yeah, sure. Okay, great. Really? Wow, I didn't know that. They had called the church wanting to ask if it was okay if they blah, blah, blah. And I said, sure, not a problem. But then the conversation continued and the words out of the person's mouth were, we haven't talked for months. I said, I know. Well, I just wanted to share with you some of the things going on in my world. And we talked for almost 30 minutes. Two days after I asked God to give me an opportunity to get in touch with this person and to have access to their life. Hmm, what can I learn from this, Father? If I'm going to live an, a, an Advent life anticipating the return of my king and wanting to do all that I can for him in the advancement of his gospel while I'm living out my life on this earth, maybe I should pray for some people. Hmm. Maybe I should ask God to give me opportunity to speak into their lives. Hmm. Because look what happens. Out of the blue, after eight months, a telephone call. Guess how the phone call ended? We need to get together coffee sometime. I really would love to do that. Really? Let's be intentional. Those were my words. Let's be intentional about, I will call you next week to set up a perfect time for both of us because right now it's not good for me to try and take time to look at the calendar. I was given an open door to get back into that life. Now they don't know what God and I have been talking about. God's doing this all behind the scenes. But isn't it cool? Amen. Now, I have a role in this. If I don't make the follow-up phone call, it'll never happen. And the contact will have been lost. And the opportunity for me to be blessed through my interaction and being used of God to minister will be lost. Not that God's not going to reach that other person through somebody else, but I will lose out on the benefit and the joy and the blessing of being part of that process. And it all has to do with me getting up off my lazy keister and being intentional and taking some action. Because, like I said, it's very easy for me to just be a Christian and live out my life and never impact anyone for the kingdom. Now, I have no idea what this is saying to you. I'm just telling you, this is what God told me to tell you for the first Sunday of Advent. You have three more Sundays to be reflective 
about your own personal relationship with Jesus and what it means when you say, He's coming again. And someday I'm going to be with him. And the question I would have for you and and I would challenge you with is be intentional for the next 21 days. Be intentional. Not going out and doing stuff in the community. I'm not saying that. Get on your face before God and with intentionality say, what do I need to do to better live the way you want me to live? To better fulfill the calling you have on my life? That's all. And then listen. It's a real easy prayer. It takes about 30 seconds. But you should spend 30 minutes with the Lord. Because the 30 seconds should be your mouth flapping. And the 29 and a half minutes should be spent with your ears open and your mouth shut. And let the Holy Spirit talk to you and tell you what it is that you could be doing if you would be intentional. Well, I think we're good. That was what was on my heart. And I feel clear. So we will say we're done.